Today is Wednesday, April 26, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. 80-year-old President Joe Biden makes his 2024 re-election bid official. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We're bringing news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, share with a friend. You can email us as well. Quick Start Podcast at cbn.org. Joining me now to get through the news of the Cray, as we do each and every weekday morning at 7 a.m., Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell. What's up, fellas? Halfway well, home. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm caffeinated, contented. There I'm here. Go. I'm clear. I'm good. Doing great. All right. Well, we're all amped up and ready to go. And uh, we have a lot coming up on the podcast today. Uh, Bill, you have an update on the border crisis. Yeah, interesting story about an event that's coming up. And there's a lot of chaos in Texas right now, but we'll get into the legislation that's being proposed and this big rally coming up on the 29th. All right, looking forward to the details on that. We also uh, have a conversation with former heavyweight champion George Foreman talking about his incredible conversion to Christianity. But first... We are going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. And President Joe Biden formally announced he is running for re-election yesterday, releasing a video early in the morning about 6 a.m., which lamented MAGA extremists and promised to continue a fight for the soul of the nation. Republicans countered with a message of their own, highlighting the historic inflation, high gas prices, the border crisis, and global instability going on and other problems that have plagued Biden's first term. Biden is 80 years old, and if reelected, he'd be 86 years old by the end of his second term. The World Health Organization warned that fighters have taken over a public laboratory in Sudan. The lab contains samples of polio and measles. It's an extremely, extremely dangerous situation, according to the WHO. Intense fighting has given way to a tense truce as of yesterday. Pastor Eric Petrie of CityGate Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, posted that over the past two weeks at CityGate, they've seen 650 people give their life to Jesus, with 93 getting baptized. And yesterday, hundreds of people filled the altars seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you can read that full story about that movement going on there over at CBN News. Guys, President Biden making it official. And there are people questioning, and we've seen it in the polls as well, the concerns about the president's age. I think we've mentioned this before, but I'm fascinated by the fact that Ronald Reagan, who was kind of considered you know, a grandfather-like figure when he was in office, he was only in his late 70s when he ended his second term. Biden, if reelected and serves out a whole second term, would be close, would be 86 years old. It's really remarkable. I mean, we're just, we're in uncharted territory there. Yeah, and it's territory in which neither side is particularly excited, it seems, or at least the country as a whole seems to be looking for other candidates, right? And you know, I'm what I'm interested to see is what happens on the left, right? You know, what do Democrats do? Because if they don't want Biden, and I'm talking about people high up in the party, are they going to be able to slip other candidates in? What is that going to look like? Or is the party going to line up behind Biden? I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. 
Yeah, it's bizarre that uh, he's making this announcement and it comes right after an NBC poll said 70% of Americans overall don't want Biden to run again, including 51% of Democrats don't want him to run again. So uh, there there wasn't really excitement ar- uh, around him the first go around, and there's even less excitement about him the second go around, if that's even possible. So it's he's kind of limping into potentially limping into the nomination at this point. Right. And it's not, not because of his age, but because of how unpopular he is. Well, and the Republicans right now, Donald Trump is has thrown his hat into the ring and he's kind of the main contender at this point, looking like the favorite so far, Ron DeSantis would be another one, but he hasn't announced anything official yet, but it looks like this is, you know, a Trump Biden rematch is sort of, I think it, looks like what Democrats are sort of hoping for, because with the messaging in this announcement ad, it featured heavily the January 6th protests and riots. And he used the word MAGA extremist, which obviously is a clear reference to Donald Trump. So it just seems like things are heading in that direction unless unless something changes. But again, there's there's a long way to go for this all to, to flesh out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think the next year is going to be, you know, we thought 2016, 2020 were roller coasters. I think this is going to be the Tower of Terror on steroids for the next year. Um, watching this unfold, it's going to be really <laughs> interesting on both sides to see what happens. Mm. Yeah, no, I think there's going to be a lot of shots fired and there's going to be a lot. I think it's going to be more um, inflammatory than it has been in the past, if you can even imagine that, right? Because already DeSantis hasn't officially launched anything and he's being attacked by Trump. Uh, so Trump is attacking to the right and he's attacking to the left, obviously, going after Democrats and presumably Joe Biden. So I, I just think that there's going to be a whole lot of dumpster fires before we even get yeah. to the general election. Uh, and then, of course, that's going to be wild. And I do wonder Maybe the Democrats, that's their strategy. They're banking on Trump being the nominee again, and they think they can coast into a a second victory because of Trump, and they don't really have to worry about whether they have a good candidate or not. Yeah, I mean, it it will certainly be interesting. I mean, an incumbents typically, historically, have... You know, a good chance of getting getting back in. I mean, it's it's rare. I mean, what happened to Trump last time? it, It takes something like a national pandemic for the incumbent to have problems and that's exactly what happened to trump i mean if it weren't for the pandemic i would think you probably would have had a smooth sailing re-election for for um former president trump but uh, nevertheless we'll obviously continue to cover that as everything continues to unfold on the political scene over at cbnnews.com but all right we are going to head into our focus story for today and we have the border crisis is certainly heating up and not letting down in fact the exact opposite is true it's it continues to surge and it's been like this for some time now and we've got a group uh, billy that is gathering to try to bring more attention to it what's going on yeah this is this is interesting it's uh <clears throat> mark meckler he's the president of the conventions of states he's also the organizer of this upcoming rally it's called how many more Um, An interesting name for a rally, and we'll get into what he means by that with the title, but this is going to be unfolding on April 29th on the steps of the Texas Capitol from 1 to 4 p.m., and it's an effort really aimed at encouraging Texas officials to take action 
um, on the border. So the belief here um, by Mark and others is that the federal government has abdicated its responsibility. It is not stepping up to the plate to protect the border. You have a lot of migrants and a lot of immigrants coming over that border illegally or trying to at least, and you have a crisis scenario. And so with the federal government not taking action, they want Texas to basically single-handedly as a state dive in and create a border protection unit. And so this uh, border protection unit is part of a, a legislative effort that is being considered right now at the state level. And this event, this big rally, the How Many More rally, is intended to really bolster and push politicians to embrace that legislation. Okay. And so why does Meckler believe House Bill 20 is necessary? Yeah, so House Bill 20 is the bill that would establish this border protection unit. This would be part of the Texas Department of Public Safety. It would be a law enforcement body that would basically have the ability to arrest, detain, and deter individuals from crossing the border illegally. They would be able to use non-deadly force. The part of this plan that's sparking a lot of controversy, right, is that if this bill passes, the governor basically oversees this, but there would be civilians with no criminal history who would be allowed to work in this uh, border protection unit. So they wouldn't be able to arrest people. They wouldn't be able to do that, but they would be able to participate in different activities. And those activities don't seem very well defined. So there's a lot of fear that this would be abused, that you'd have civilian vigilantes out there, you know, behaving in, you know, improper ways. Meckler says no. They have to be trained. They're going to have training. It's not going to be like that. And again, they won't have that arrest power. But, you know, to, to specifically answer your question, they believe because the federal government's not doing it, that the state needs to do it. And the state needs to declare that there is an invasion, there is a crisis, and that nobody else is stepping up to the plate. And so with House Bill 20, they would be essentially creating a force to secure the border for themselves. Mm. And we hear Title 42 getting thrown around again. This is it's come up a few times over the last few months. What is it and how does it play into this particular discussion? Yeah, so Title 42 is really interesting. It expires on May 11th, and that's why it's getting a lot of play right now. Title 42 is basically it's an emergency provision that the Trump administration um, employed back in March of 2020. And the goal was to basically stop people from spreading COVID, from coming over the border and spreading it. So under Title 42, you can send people back really quickly, really easily back to their home country when they try, if they're captured, trying to get over the border. Um, Biden has allowed Title 42 to stand. It is, again, expiring on May 11th, and there are a lot of fears around that, which we could talk about what that will mean um, for migrants and will there be a surge of people coming as a result of that. But it should be noted that Trump did not create Title 42. It has been around for, for a long time. It goes back decades. It had only been employed one time before covid but because the COVID emergency has sort of waned now um, at the government level, then you know, even Meckler said, even though it creates a lot of problems, it makes sense why Title 42 is going away. The crisis is no longer there. It was part. It was tied to the crisis. But that makes a bigger need for what they're trying to do then on the border because they're fearing more people are going to come. Yeah, very very interesting discussion. And you know, with the the Title 42 being able to put people back, I mean, we saw. In our special Biden's border that CBN did, that's that's on YouTube. We can put it in the description. But you saw how people would just come in and the tests were very lax about whether they had COVID or not. 
and you're just like, wait a minute, we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're making everybody mask up everywhere they go, but people are just waltzing in across the border and you're shipping them out. No, no worries if they've got COVID or not. And so it was, it was a whole crazy scene, but that's obviously going to be, you know, the, even the president has declared the pandemic over. So that's going to be expiring, but the border crisis is very much alive and well. Of course, the mainstream media hasn't particularly focused on it or dwelled on it, but as CBN has reported, we've seen multiple times Darian Gap, Chuck Holton down there. These, even the other article we had, guys, with the Chinese, the uh, the men, all the Chinese men that were coming in through through the southern border into Mexico, then up through Mexico. Um, they were you know, flying into South America, then traveling up through Mexico into the United States. It's uh, it is absolutely a crisis, but it doesn't seem to be getting that sort of treatment in the media. Well, yeah. And the other part of this, we often talk about, well, people are in need, they're fleeing and it's talked about compassion on that side. But what Mark talked a lot about um, and it's worth reading and watching the interview over on our CBN um, news channel on YouTube is that, you know, there are people being raped. Women are being raped. You have children being trafficked. There's so many things that are happening to these people as they try to get to America. Um, Ranchers are finding bodies on their property endlessly. Um, This is a massive Crisis. So it'll be interesting to see what Texas decides to do here. I think another interesting piece about this or something that makes it more complicated is it's not like an abstract political issue because there are some things that people don't feel the pressure of immediately, right? Like the debt ceiling debate that we have every year. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it has impacts, but it's not something that we feel tangibly at the moment necessarily that it's being debated in the news. Uh, But this is something that day in and day out, the longer we go without any sort of solution, the longer we go without addressing it at all and just use it as a political football, whether you're Republican or Democrat, there are people in these border states who are being legitimately and significantly impacted by our inaction as a government, right? Um, and it's 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 increasing the likelihood of trafficking. It's increasing the likelihood of violence at the border. And I think the longer we go without addressing it, I just think morally we're responsible for this, right? You know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, we have a moral obligation to be addressing this, and we're not. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there was just one video we had the other day of a high speed chase where a smuggler from on the southern border was smuggling in people in a truck and got and was selfieing himself on a high-speed chase with police blasting music no cares in the world and they ended up crashing into a car and killing two Americans a grandmother and the granddaughter and a, and a couple of the migrants that were in the back of the truck died as well and not a care in the world but that's the sort of thing that's going on down there every single day so uh, we will certainly keep an eye on it as that is bound to be a big issue. And we'll see what happens when Title 42 runs out if we have yet another big surge. So appreciate you bringing that story, Billy. We're going to head over to the main thing now. Heavyweight champion, entrepreneur George Foreman. He's the subject of a new movie about his life called Big George Foreman. It's in theaters on Friday. He spoke with Trey and he opened up about his incredible journey from not believing there was even a God to spending his life preaching the gospel and telling others about Jesus. That's today's main thing. George Foreman, you've been in in the, the, the media's eye for so long, but now your, move, your life is in a movie. What is it like to see your story told on the silver screen? It's strange though when you start seeing your story on a 
in the movies and the yeah. silver screen, you start thinking, boy, is that the end of me? <laughs> Maybe I'm not alive, I'm not needed mm -hmm. anymore. So it's not like it's a great, wonderful thing because it's scary. Mm -hmm. Most people who give great stories about their life are already passed on. You know, but your story is one of, of a second and a third and a fourth <laughs> act. Uh, so I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think your story is so different than that and that you've been able to reinvent yourself. And I think a large part of that is because of, of your faith, which shines through in the movie. So tell us a little bit about that and how your faith conversion, which was quite an intense conversion, as we see in the movie and as I've read uh, elsewhere, how that really colored some of your shaping of, of your life. Well, my first time around, I was just ambitious. I wanted to be top heavyweight champ of the world, knockout, rich and famous and that whole thing. And then all of a sudden I hit that rock. I found out there was more to life. I found God now I'm on the dressing room table screaming, Jesus Christ is coming alive in me. Things I didn't know exist. So took 10 years off of boxing, didn't do anything but preach the gospel. So the second time around, I had more than what I had, the big fist, the knockout punch. I had faith in God that I was doing the right thing, that he would help me if I continued doing the right things. Yeah, but you know, something that's interesting is even in, in the first act, the first part of your, your professional career, you talked about your mind and your heart uh, being the determining factor uh, in boxing. And obviously you carried that into the second act, uh, but how, where did that come from? Where did that, that mindset and philosophy come from? Where you, yeah, I learned to fight the first time around. I was hit, and uh, they taught me how to box real good in the job corps. And a guy hit me in the Golden Gloves, and I remember laying on the canvas, jumping up, thinking, "I gotta fight! I gotta fight! All this stuff about boxing and jabbing and bobbing and weaving, I gotta put that down and just purely fight." And I added that to my life. I was gonna fight for everything that would come to me. I was gonna fight. Then when I found faith in God, boy, that really encouraged me to fight to make certain I hang on to the love, the love yeah. I have for people. So what did you carry from boxing into faith? How has that helped? What lessons did you learn in boxing that have really, you know, bolstered your faith in Christ? And that, I learned to fight in boxing, not just box, but to fight, to hold on to what you have. And so I'd gotten from religion, and I realized I was going to have to fight to be in church on time. And sometimes I was merely going to be the best mopper around and the sweeper <laughs> of the floors. It was a fight to keep this thing going, that I would tell this story for as long as I live and not let it get away from me. You know, you're an Olympic athlete, a world-class uh, boxer. Some people might think, why become a community leader and a pastor. Uh, you could have done something much more glamorous, much bigger, uh, but you chose to go into service to the Lord. W what inspired that? I didn't believe there was a God. I mean, I fought to be heavyweight champ of the world. And then once I found for a fact that was God, Jesus Christ was alive, I was going to fight to keep that alive to make certain everybody I met knew about it. And I didn't find anything else worthy of my time other than being doing the work of an evangelist. 
You know, and something that I think is so incredible about your story uh, is that it's vulnerable, right? You're, you're tenacious, but you're also uh, true to the fact that just because you become a believer uh, and you have a powerful conversion to faith doesn't mean everything works out really, really simply and, and there are no more problems. Uh, there are still difficulties and there are still struggles that you've worked through. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And that's what I learned, the fight. I learned, I didn't realize the fight would be more important once I found God. Mm -hmm because you've been the best person you can be, and yet there's trouble. You're gonna be the best person you can be in all the Bible reading in the world. You got to go to the hospital. Yeah. All the things that would happen to me, to happen to anyone else would continue to happen. But I, the silver lining was I had faith in God. He would help me no matter what. All right, Trey, thanks for that conversation. That leaves us with time for one last thing. We're going to look at 2 Peter 3, 9 today. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Mm, yeah, great reminder as uh, we struggle throughout day-to-day -day life. And um, we see people that we're praying for, loved ones that they're praying for, and God is patient with them. And um, I think that's a trait of God that we need to you know, be thankful for. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I love, I love these reminders as we sort of navigate through the troubles of life and the chaos of life that we can come back to scripture and it can give us that peace. Yep, absolutely. Good place to leave it here on the podcast for today. As always, get yourself on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com. Get yourself some news from a Christian perspective. And as always, Lord willing and that creek don't rise, we will be back here with more tomorrow as we go through the news of the cray each and every weekday at 7 a.m. God bless. See you back here tomorrow.